podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Whistleblowers Podcast. It's now weekly, as you probably uh, figured out by now. No longer daily, you can't hear my dulcet tones every single day of the week. Just on Mondays, alongside Gareth Dobson, who's here with me as ever now. Hi Gareth. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm really good. Um, this has been a really exciting weekend of football. I've really enjoyed it. I know I'm supposed to say that about every weekend, but it's not always true. Whereas this no. weekend I thought was great. It had almost everything. But before we get into that, let's talk about um, Crystal Palace, because obviously there's been uh, news since we last recorded. Gareth, take us through what's happened at Palace. Well, uh, Patrick Vieira was uh, sacked rather sadly on St. Patrick's Day which mm. felt very disappointing for him, um, apparently, on a 7am trip to the training ground. And it seems yeah. like he's going to be replaced by the previous man, Roy Hodgson, which is, it's yeah. a really strange one to me. You know, the Hodgson era came to an end with them being seen as a solid team who didn't concede but couldn't score. And yep. they've ended the Vieira era as a solid enough team who can't score. Yep. So they've brought in the guy who's going to fix that by. <laughs> mm. I'm, I'm still listening. <laughs> no, it, 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 it's baffling. I it, there is nothing to say. It, it feels. I understand that they probably convinced themselves that the continuity, as it were, of a manager who knows the players, who I think left on good terms by and large, yeah. and the players like him well enough. And I think they've got a really manageable well, either manageable or incredibly important run of fixtures coming up. Um, they play a lot of teams in and around, as they like to say. And you win a couple of those, and you're probably sweating a few less bullets. But It's strange, isn't it? Because it it's football, we know how fickle football is. We know how quickly attitudes can change, particularly amongst fan bases and owners. But it really doesn't feel like long ago where we were really, really up on Vieira and what he'd done for Palace and how, you know, I think Roy Hodgson doesn't have many detractors, really. I think everyone sort of likes Roy, Hod Roy Hodgson, maybe apart from Liverpool fans. But the the speed in which it's gone from Vieira has changed things for the best to we must now get rid of him has really, it's got me shook, Gareth. I, and, and so it should, it's... I think when you really study the media, you start to understand when journalists are briefed and when certain narratives are placed out in the press because it went from Vieira's building a, a great young team to, well, the club has identified a lot of really good young players and Vieira is not maximising them. Interesting. Um, which I, I'm assuming has come out from the club. You know, they, yep. they're happy to take the credit for players like Elise and... As a, as a uh, yeah. and and they're probably sitting there going, well, we've invested really wisely, uh, and you're not making enough of them. It's, I don't know. I mean, if you want to turn that round, I'll ask them why they still haven't managed to sign a decent number nine since uh, since Dougie Friedman. <laughs> yeah, I mean that it's a strange one with Palace, isn't it? They, they seem to have plenty of number nines currently. I'd say Mateta and uh, Odson Edward. Pretty decent, but they just can't yeah. get a tune out of them. They can't get anything. They can't get anything consistent, and that's that's what you want for number nine. Um, let's quickly talk about their performance uh, against Arsenal on Sunday because it seemed to be pretty tepid. Yeah, I, I think you know Arsenal uh, handled them. It, it was probably more about yeah. how many goals Arsenal chose to score or how how far they, 
they chose to push on going to the international yeah. break. I mean, it was a very one-sided game, and you can understand the timing of the sacking because if you had no expectation of winning that game, it's probably better to to get it done. Let the players, uh, I don't know, just uh, accept the defeat, and then they've got the international break to. Well, they had essentially the weekend and the international break to identify. But so, 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 so sack Vieira after that game, then sack Vieira after the game against Arsenal, where there's, you know, there's something you on it. There's, I don't understand. I don't understand why you would sack him before that Arsenal game, where there's clearly the only some thing, emotional attachment to that game. Sure. The only thing I can think of is that perhaps the club will worry that if you get sacked after a slacking by Arsenal, people can say, "Well, what you can do? It's Arsenal. They're the form team." Yeah, I don't know. Look, we've got to move on because it's not a long show and we've got lots to cover. Uh, I want to talk about, sadly, I want to talk about your team for a little uh, while. Um, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm going to I'm gonna have to, Gareth. You're a Spurs fan and Spurs are absolutely headline worthy at the minute. Um, before we do that, let's hear from uh, Mike Lee. Mike is the uh, host of the Spurs show on this very network. Mike Lee from the Spurs show. Well, the Tottenham Hotspur soap opera continues. Always extraordinary Tottenham stories on the back page. And this obviously concerns Conte's weekend rant. Most Spurs fans, probably fans of uh, Chelsea as well, probably not um, that surprised by this. He's done this before at Chelsea, before he got sacked. Uh, he did it last season against Burnley, where it looked like we were, he was off and then sort of apologised and said, I get very angry after games. But I think this really was directed at the players uh, more than the board. Um, we obviously aren't privy to the fact whether he said this to them before he went out, but we probably suspect he didn't. Uh, some sources are saying some players are very upset with what he came out with. I think most fans, in fairness, will go, well, there's absolute truth in this. You know, um, the, 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 the continuous soft underbelly of Tottenham Hotspur continues. We all know there's been players there, certainly in the back, who have been there um, since Pochettino's uh, era and haven't been replaced. And we know Conte wanted certain players replaced and they haven't. And uh, But none of us will now really, really be surprised to see him I mean, he might go sooner, he might be pushed, but I, I suspect he will be there. He'll see out his contract until the end of the season. There is speculation, maybe Ryan Mason again taking over for the rest of the season. But with Spurs still with a chance of Champions League football, bizarrely, I think that would be surprising. Uh, obviously, fans are thinking, well, there is one player out there, one manager out there who uh, is available, and that is Mauricio Pochettino. Um, most fans suspect him coming back next season, but is there a chance of him coming back sooner and being given 10 games this season to uh, get things moving again? Uh, I mean, the bottom line is the football under Conte has been pretty poor. Most Spurs fans were willing to accept Conte if this type of football got results. It got results enough last season to get us into the top four. Um, but I think most teams now have found us out uh, and know how to play against it. And so now we're not winning games and the football's awful. So I think most Spurs fans, uh, despite wishing Conte well, wouldn't be that upset to see him go at the end of the season, provided whoever comes in uh, is given the tools, given the money that he needs to finally turn this massive club around. 
but none of us are holding our breath with the current owners. Uh, yes, beautiful stadium. Yes, beautiful training ground. Yes, Beyonce live in N17. But uh, all of us now realise it ain't a football ground anymore. It's a multi-event stadium. And we are just one of those multi-events going in there every year. And uh, whether the current owners will finally invest properly on the pitch, uh, none of us are holding our breath. There is talk of other people coming in and buying Tottenham. But we all know Levy is very, very difficult to negotiate with. And uh, if someone did come in and buy Tottenham Hotspur, how much value would they be getting out of it? Because uh, I'm sure they wouldn't get a great deal <laughs> from Levy uh, in the first place. So we will see. That is Mike Lee from the Spurs Show, uh, a podcast available on this very network. Gareth, anything within that that you disagree with, apart from the Beyonce stuff? Uh, the notion that we need to turn this this huge club around. Spurs are probably where they generally should be, which is fighting for a top four spot. Yeah. Um, beyond that, Mike, who I'm going to quickly rush off to with a bucket of chicken and fishing rod to uh, see how he's doing. Um, <laughs> it, everything you said is true. The, the one thing, yeah. listen to that, that struck me as, as sort of both interesting and depressing is if you took out the words Antonio Conte and put in Jose Mourinho, that could have been the same speech. Nothing, nothing's changed, has it? No. Yeah, it's 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 mad. We're recording this on uh, Monday evening, having just spoken about Patrick Vieira, and 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 I'm saying that I think he was sacked prematurely, at least given the Arsenal game. I'm now saying I don't understand why at this point in the week Conte hasn't already gone. Are you surprised he's still there, Gareth, or do you think he's there for the rest of the season? It's I don't know. I kind of thought an hour and a half after that press conference we would have heard that Antonio Conte has left the club. Yeah. Um, the longer it takes for that to happen, I suspect it might not happen. Um, and I think there's probably a real stick or twist situation in that Spurs have three games to get it right, uh, which is Everton, Brighton, and then Bournemouth. And then after that, they have a run of fixtures away to Newcastle, home to Manchester United, and away to Liverpool. So they need to be going into those three games, having collected, you know, seven or nine points. So isn't this and the then, time then to get that bounce, get that new manager bounce we talk about every bloody week? Absolutely. But trying to see who they can bring in that can do that, that can enact a relatively quick change is probably, you know, what's on Levy's mind. I mean, the, the Ryan Mason experience did not go particularly well. When no, but you did okay. You did okay with Conte in Italy with with his health issues recently. I think you, the team that, seemed to did, be better. They uh, the team likes Ryan Mason. It seems like you know he's a younger, relatable character. But there was, um, you know, there was Antonio Conte second, who was obviously quite prominent there. And I, I would assume he wouldn't be there either. Um, no. There was talk about a collective responsibility when Conte was out and how the Spurs players kind of were like, right, this is down to us. You know, this is a group effort. It's the staff and the players working together. I think that sort of, you know, authoritarian element of, uh, of Conte, which is so pronounced is fine when it all goes well. I mean, he is a man who is happy to blame everyone else when things aren't going well. He, he makes really valid points. The club is stuck in second gear a little bit, but it's not helpful, and he, you know, even and a month. But, ago, but there's, but there's no, there's no sense of him taking any responsibility for this. It, just, it really doesn't feel like that, anyway. 
No, it, it hasn't. And he's been, you know, he from day one, it was like, if the man, if the board gives me the players I need, what can I do with these? You know, I've been given yeah. nonsense. And, um, you know, he, he has a very uh, adversarial kind of role generally or, or counterpoint to the board wherever he is. But it's, but when it goes sour, it goes sour very quickly. He's definitely not going to be there in the summer, but I think there's a reasonable chance he's there until the end of the season. Yeah. Uh, let's move on, Gareth, because we are we are short on time. Um, Southampton, I thought, weren't brilliant against Spurs, but they stuck it out and they, they deserved a point, ultimately. Um, and as we've said a few times now, the the teams down and around that that bottom, I mean, bottom eight, really, but there's a lot of quality and a lot of pretty evenly matched sides in there. There's no, you know, absolute turkey this season. Southampton managed to come back and get a great result against Spurs. I'm looking at Leeds, though, this weekend. An absolutely unbelievable result away at Wolves. Really impressive. Uh, Rodrigo's now back. Not sure if he's fully fit yet, but he certainly came on at the weekend and scored. Um, they got the likes of Somerville, who I really rate, coming off the bench. I mean, it seems as though they've suddenly got a bit of depth and they've got some belief going forward now. Uh, I, I, I thought Wolves, you know what? I thought Wolves were going to pull away and absolutely be so comfortable, you know, 12th or 13th place. And actually, Leeds have have, um, have shown that they've got a bit of a soft underbelly still. But talk to me about Leeds, Gareth. What well, Leeds, I, I think they've had a good squad for a year and a half, or they've had elements of a good squad. I think they they brought in some good players, the Tyler Adams and, and, and Weston McKinney, the, the two American very players, are very solid. good. I think they've just been a little unfortunate in the, the management they've had. The tactics they use have been, I hate to use the word naive because it's really cliche. It makes me sound like Andy Gray, but there is, you know, from Bielsa, where I think Bielsa's tactics might work when you have the best players or, you know, a really highly equipped squad. But I don't think either manager, you know, were making the best Jesse Marshall or a, Mobius were making the best of what they have. And I think there is a good enough team to to stay up. And, you know, we keep saying you only need a couple of wins and you're probably okay. And I think that's yeah. true. And, you know, Leeds will look at the fact that they've only lost one of the last four league games. They won two of those and, you know, a few more points. And they'll probably be starting feeling quite good. I do feel as though they should have probably got a bonus point for the uh, Luke Ayling celebration. He's busted out a few times before. You've seen it, right? I have, yes. I, it's it's a Robbie it's a Robbie Keane thing. I don't know if he's talked about this, but it's a Robbie Keane parody, isn't it? I I don't know if it's a parody. I, I'd be it kind can't of be an homage. Robbie Keane's on there. No, I don't. <laughs> would Robbie Keane be on his radar? Yeah, man, definitely. Robbie Keane did the crap the crap forward roll, the sort of the the, ba- the sort of bad cartwheel. Then it sort of goes into it morphs into a crap forward roll, and then the guns. Yeah. There's yeah, no way that Luke Ayling has done that accidentally. All three of those, the combination of three, it's billions to one, Gareth. Or there's no way that someone hasn't gone and said, you know, you've accidentally completely mimicked Robbie Keane, who, you know, leads 12 months leads legend. So, no, you're, you're probably right. I, I wonder if it's something that someone showed him once on YouTube. Like He must have addressed this, this. If we Googled it, I reckon I reckon a million people have talked about this already. I bet we're, yeah, we're then, old granddads talking about this if now If we Google everything, we wouldn't be able to speculate about, about it endlessly. No, that's true. All right, well, um, good luck to everybody, I suppose, involved in that Robbie Keane celebration, uh, particularly Robbie Keane and Luke Ayling. After the break, we're going to talk about the FA Cup. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Whistleblowers. It's me, Mark Smith, alongside Gareth Dobson. Uh, FA Cup weekend, Gareth, I thought it was it was brilliant. It was it brilliant. Was okay, there weren't there weren't any shocks, but there was some really, really good stuff. I particularly enjoyed the, the United Fulham game. I found that maybe the most wild, maybe the wildest sort of uh two or three minutes that I've seen in a game for a long time. Did you see the game? Uh, so I, it's the only game I missed, but oh, fortunately God. the the flashpoints were so endlessly viewable. I managed to endlessly view them for the next six hours on social media. It feels like it's been a while since Mitrovic has gone full Mitrovic. Yes, it's like and like you know his whole game is playing on the edge and playing with that burning intensity and that sort of you know anything could happen at any minute. And I, I'm pleased to see that he's still got it in him. I'm pleased to see he's not older, wiser, or uh, or more sensible. It's uh, one of the things I love is that kind of the moment he touches the referee, the way the referee whips out that red card like he's been mm. itching. It, yes. He knows it's coming. He's just ready. He's like straight off. It's very schoolmastery, which you don't see too much. It's from David Ellery, anymore. isn't it? It's, it's David, David Ellery thing. Yeah. Um, uh, but it was interesting uh, the, the amount of the amount of stuff I've seen on Twitter, and obviously Twitter is not a barometer of real football fans. I understand that, but I still look at it. Um, the amount of people saying, "Well, you know, three red cards at Old Trafford." Of course, it is. I don't think I've ever seen less contentious red cards. No, it's, in, it's in the game of football. All entirely it's a, fair. It's completely it's, fair. Do you think that's the biggest collective team meltdown since Spurs at Chelsea? Four, five years I, think, I think you can probably pick a few Spurs games, but I think that the, <laughs> I think that the, yeah, I mean, I don't know what Marcus Silva said. We'll, we'll probably never know, but forget about that one. Just, just stick with the on-field red cards. Mm. If William, if William gets sent off for that for that handball, okay, fine. They've still been the better team. It could still go one all, and they'll have ten men for fifteen minutes. But they've still got a shot there. Mitrovic doing what he did was just. That that's it. The game is now finished because of that. Yep, agreed. The it's, game is it's, done. It's just it's so crazy. petulant. And I know people have tried to you know compare it to the Bruno Fernandez thing at Liverpool. I mean, it's not the same thing. I mean, Bruno, yeah, probably should have got yellow carded, maybe. But it's not the same thing as what Mitrovic did. But also, the sense of part of the reason why Bruno Fernandez had his meltdown is because his team were getting hammered and he couldn't do anything about it. Whereas yeah. if you're Mitrovic, if you're a professional footballer, you turn and say, look. You're hanging on here. You're still winning. There's a penalty to come, but you are currently winning. You're down yeah. to ten men. Don't don't take this from don't me. Very it. difficult. 
task to 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 absolute tire fire in 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 one touch of a referee and you're like you're so close to Wembley I mean I, I can't get my head around it's, it it's wonderful theatre and this is a Fulham team who are in you know good nick yeah um, but they have now lost William and Mitrovic for the next three games which are all league games at a point where they genuinely could be pushing for you know European spots absolutely I think yeah. um the commentator uh, uh, was it Jonathan Pierce noted that a yellow card for a few players meant that they would miss um, an F the F Cup semi final, but a red card would lose them free league games. So they, right, right. They w- you assume they would be aware of that, or made aware of that, and I'm not sure that they that were. Really but but, but, but look, but, way, but well, the William thing was was instinctive. It's one of those things, and actually Mitrovic to defend him for a second, and it's not really defending him, but. It was instinctive as well, and he is a maniac. So that's what happens. <laughs> he wasn't thinking because he doesn't think in those moments. And and you know, it's a bit of a cliche to say it, but it's what makes him a great player as well. You know, he he plays on the edge, and he's always he always looks like he's about to attack somebody. But that can be incredibly effective um, as a striker. I mean, he got his goal, played fantastically well. In a sense, you sort of saw the best of Mitrovic in that game, didn't you? Everything you wanted. If you were paying money just to see Mitrovic do a highlights reel, well, you definitely got it. And it's definitely worth and the ticket money. I think a, a sort of, you know, a high-intensity game where the the star Eastern European striker who's temperamental as all hell, like, loses his mind. It felt like watching a brilliant Serie A game. From I, was the just about, I was just about to say that. I was just about to say that as Italian. That's the Italian football I grew up on. Yeah, that's because after it. Italia, you get like uh, this happened at Bari versus Venetia on Saturday morning. Goes, what? Go, wow! Amazing. <laughs> it's, yeah. I, I, it, it feels like you get less and less of that in in so I guess top class football now, and I miss it. You know, I, I miss the sort of unruly heads going, absolute all hell breaks loose, and also the fact that we have two very distinct and different merit cards. You know, one the the, the brilliant professional foul. Which he almost gets away with, and, and and one being the player loses his head, touches referee, you know, Superb. all hell breaks. It's wonderful. And the ref, the ref on the ref was saying, "Oh, we don't want to see this." I guarantee every single person watching that game, apart from Fulham fans, was saying, "This is exactly what I want to see. This is how I want to spend my Sunday afternoon." Um, let's talk about United briefly. Then they're through to uh, another semi final, um, off to Wembley. They look knackered though, Gareth. They're playing playing a lot of games. They've played two games a week for the last thirteen weeks. Eric Ten Hag doesn't particularly like to rotate and they just look exhausted. I mean, they got bailed out of that game there against Fulham. And I think if you're going to pick an upset, well, it's going to have to be Brighton against against them, isn't it? Yeah, it's that's a really nice game. I, I think you... Poor Sheffield United. Well, not Porsche, though. They, they, they've had a brilliant cup run. Um, but... It's, it's, Would you, it's impossible to think they'll, yeah. they'll do anything with Man City. But, you know, Brighton, you know, as they showed when they beat United earlier this season, they they they, they can do United. And I think Definitely. even though it's it's slightly, it would be unfair to call it an upset, it would be viewed as an upset. And that's what you always want from a cup game. So I think yeah. uh, Brighton will go in probably a slight underdogs, but heavy fan favourites. Heavy fan favourites. And they were sort of ruthless against Grimsby. Uh, it was... I don't know. Sometimes I like watching the underdog get hammered because <laughs> I'm horrible. But at the same time, sometimes it's a bit much, isn't it? Um, let's hear from Lloyd Griffith. He is a, a Grimsby fan and comedian. 
So the fairy tale is over. Grimsby Town are no longer in the FA Cup. Yesterday, we got beat 5-0 by Brighton and Hove Albion in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. The first quarterfinal Grimsby Town have been in since 1939. And in getting to this quarterfinal, actually made FA Cup history by being the first team in the FA Cup to get to the quarterfinals by beating teams in leagues above us. Those teams that we beat were Plymouth, they were Burton, they were Cambridge, they were Luton, they were Southampton. But Brighton was just one step too far. Five was the scoreline, but let me tell you, that did not reflect the play. It should have been a lot more. They missed about four sitters. However, they should have had their goalkeeper sent off when it was 1-0. He handled the ball outside the area. I'm not entirely sure what VR was doing, probably on some sort of picket line with Mick Lynch somewhere. However, Grimsby Town, the journey is over, but I'm proud of the lads. We've earned a little bit of money. We've earned a lot of respect, but we'll just have to come back next year and win the whole bloody lot. This is Lloyd Griffith. Goodbye. Lloyd Griffith there, Grimsby fan and comedian. Um, very upbeat, and he should be. I mean, it's an unbelievable, it's an unbelievable thing to get that far, so close to Wembley. Um, did you see much of Grimsby in, in their in their cup run, Gareth? Uh, I saw the game against Southampton. Um, one of our, our mutual friends is a former Grimsby player, so yeah. it's right. uh, yeah. I like to keep an eye out for the uh, fifteen or twenty teams that Grits used to play for. It really filled <laughs> up my week, yeah. <laughs> running through the league table. Um, yeah. But it's horrible, uh, isn't it? If 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 you, I mean, you don't really have this because you you support a big club. But as a Derby fan, I have it where you can progress so far, and then the brutal reality of what that ceiling looks like comes crashing down on you. And the way that Brighton took apart Grimsby was, it, I mean, I said it earlier, it was it was ruthless. And that's what you want. But at the same me, time, it's like, come on, lads. It reminded me a little bit of uh, South Korea versus Brazil in the knockout phase of this World Cup where everyone was like, you know, South Korea, like, brilliant effort to get to the, the, uh, at, the at the group stage. Lots of drama. Like, you know what? They might just cause mm. Brazil a problem here 10 minutes in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's it, one of those it was... And one is was when you know it was the you know that the, the, the old Simpsons meme of, you know, stop, stop, he's already dead. Yeah. Uh, it felt like, yeah. I mean, from Brighton, yeah, Brighton fans will have relished it though, because I don't, you know, even and maybe until this season, they were never the sort of team that, you know, kept the foot on the neck, you know, and really, really drove. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, this they, season, they, they exactly. They, they, were, they weren't and, that at the start of the season. And when they lost, you know, when they lost Potter, I'm sure a lot of yeah. people feared for the worst, their fans and all the pundits assumed that that was that for them. And, um, Ferguson looks like a, a, a fantastic player. And I, the moment that Brighton start unearthing young talent as well as identifying overseas talent, I mean, that's... This that's, is the that's, thing. That's I, I was going to ask you about this. I think we should finish on this, actually. But the the way that clubs like Brighton and Brentford are run, I think it puts most top clubs to shame around the world. They have a very specific criteria for what they want in a footballer or a coach or a scout or any any position within the organization. They know exactly what they want because they're well run from top to bottom. And it all comes from the top, of course. But Brighton, you have a feeling that Brighton, uh, you know, they are going to sell these players. We know they are. That's It, it would be, you know, churlish to suggest they're going to keep them for their entire careers if they're that good. But the likes of Saicedo, the likes of Mitoma, Evan Ferguson... These are players that are going to go for a lot of money. And you know as a Brighton fan or as a football fan that there's no need to worry. They'll be replaced very quickly with players for a tenth of the, tenth of the price and they will go for X amount in the future. Of course, there'll be duds on the way. That happens with everybody. But the strike rate seems to be absolutely phenomenal for Brighton. And they're brilliant to watch. 
And it must be disappointing as a fan of Brighton to see those players and coaches, whatever, get picked off by bigger clubs. But it also must be incredibly satisfying. Uh, yeah, it's... You know, so there's probably galling, you know, when your favourite player goes and these players do seem to come from nowhere in, in, in football terms. But it's... I guess the only thing you caution against is that maybe Southampton fans felt the same way 10 years ago. So like every time we lose a bail... Mm a Walcott of Van Dyke's like, we always find someone, someone always comes through. And at some point it, it dries up, you know, Southampton yeah. end up sort of having this new version where they're going to other teams, academies and, and bringing players in. And, and now they're really struggling just to stay up. So it's, it's a tough act to always do. And, you know, I remember Udinese, you know, going back to our Serie A chat, you know, seemed like they had the production line for a while and, and, and so forth. And, these things do go in phases, but it, it, this is probably, I'm going to guess this is Brighton's longest unbroken spell in the, in the Premier League, in the top division, maybe ever. I mean, I assume so. I've got no idea. I, look, I'm, I don't know anything about football. No, I, I'm just guessing. I'm not sure. Have they, are they a football team? Um, I think so. Hove. I think, is Hove? Uh, what is it? What is a Hove? I, they, it, it is remarkable and it's, I guess it's depressing to say, well, they'll never be able to compete, so this is the best thing they can do. It's the best version of a Brighton. But, you know, maybe at some point some sort of uh, amazing, uh, you know, foreign-based investment vehicle comes in, pumps an insane amount of money in, and uh, but says, but keep the scouting, keep the format. It's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that never happens. Having said all this, though, I mean, they could win the FA Cup this season, which would be absolutely enormous. That would be a, a, a huge achievement. Anyway, look, We've got to go. We're out of time. Gareth, thanks for joining me. Uh, thanks to Lloyd Griffith and Mike Lee for their contributions as well. We'll be back same time, same place next week on more Whistleblowers. Sports Social Podcast Network.